Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who listen to the program. Pastor Murphy, we have a couple of questions that have come in before we jump into our continued study on some cults, additional cults that we are studying. This was a WhatsApp question from Antigua. Good night, gentlemen. The absurd distortion of truth is indescribable with the false teachings. Is it safe to say that these lies are influenced by demons, or is man so creative in this foolishness? Well, I think if you read uh, Paul's writings in the book of Timothy, he's talked about the time will come when men will uh, preach doctrine of demons. So there's no question that behind a lot of this falsehood are demonic powers that are trying to distort Bible truth. And uh, when you distort, you know, the, the way to... The other thing I would mention here is that the most subtle way of, of, of really getting undermining biblical truth is to mix truth with error. And I think that's exactly what happens with a lot of these cults. They use Christian terminology, uh, Christian language, but they inject different meaning into into what these concepts uh, have traditionally meant and historically meant. So I I agree with you there that I um, I have no doubt in my mind that the mastermind behind this and this is the the evil one. Uh, he knows his time is short, and uh, he seemed to be um, uh, going full scale uh, with per- per- perpetuating a lot of these errors, and a lot of it is through demonic spirits that are leading people astray. Remember, John says, uh, "Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits." Uh, he talks about it in the first John chapter, uh, chapter three and chapter four, and uh, so there's no doubt about that that there are demonic powers behind this assault against truth that we find in our modern times. Um, thank you to the individual who sent in that question. I think that maybe was sent in at the tail of last week's episode. We appreciate it, uh, Pastor. A WhatsApp question from Saint Kitts Nevis, and it was a video that was sent fairly lengthy, and we don't have the audio from the video because it was so long. But the general idea of the video was that the person putting together this video was saying that the Pentagon has invented a new microchip which detects COVID-19 once it's been injected into your body, once the chip has been injected, and it filters the virus in the blood. They are wanting to know if it is right for them to take the COVID-19 vaccine. Look, I I myself have begun to have a lot of doubts about the, the vaccine. I've taken it. Um, and but the amount of information that's being fed now, and it's not just 
illiterate people or people who don't know scientific, have scientific data. There are serious doctors. Uh, I know over 100 of them are taking the CDC to, to court, basically, over this, this vaccine. And a lot of this information is, is creating a measure of doubt as to the credibility of what has been said. And Fossey, of course, have lied so many times that you don't even know what to believe. Uh, the current government, before the vaccines came on, online, uh, did a job to undermine the credibility of the vaccine when it came, uh, you know, you know, saying it was done too fast, didn't have enough time, et cetera, et cetera. So they've actually undermined the, any credibility that is there in terms of the public believing what is happening. And of course, now that they're in power, they would spin a different story. So people are very, very confused on what to believe. I would say that uh, it's up to the individual. Uh, I think the government should leave that to the individual. I do understand the government putting pressure on people to try to get the vaccine because uh, it's a very serious uh, disease. And uh, I, I've known of people who've died uh, died from it, and uh, they're not just old people, but uh, young people have died from it as well. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing to be taken lightly, but I think it's a matter of conscience. I think at this stage, I would recommend that you get as much information that you can gather as an individual, and then make your own personal decision. Uh, I do not believe in the conspiracy theories, to be very honest with you, that, you know, it's designed to be... I'm going to do a a program with the Mark of the Beast, what's the Mark of the Beast at some point in time after this series. But I don't think it's a matter of conspiracy. Uh, I don't don't hold that view, to be very honest with you. But I still think it's the individual that has to make the choice. And I think that the information that's now coming out is far more than I had before I took the vaccine. And uh, at my age, I probably might have still taken it because, um, you know, I'm, I'm... type 2 diabetic headed in that direction uh, there are other issues that you've got to be very concerned about but as a young person it's a little bit different I have a son uh, who is in another island and um, to keep his job he's virtually uh, he's, a, he's a, one of the British territories to keep his job they're mandating that he has to take the vaccine and he is pretty much indicated to me that if that is required, he will probably leave his job and, and just make make up his mind. He's very, very concerned about the clots. Uh, there are some of these vaccines that are creating clots, and people are very concerned about that. He is concerned about it because he's had a minor stroke, and he's, he's young, but he doesn't want to take that kind of a risk. So um, I just say it's up to the individual, but I don't accept the conspiracy theories that this is the mark of the beast and so on and so forth. I just think based on information on what the medical people are telling you and uh, make sure that you're not listening to one of these ignoramuses on the, on the thing who have absolutely no knowledge about the vaccine, but are spreading false rumors and lies, et cetera, et cetera. Make sure that you have a reliable source uh, to help you to make a credible decision. Pastor, uh, without delving into all the conspiracy theories that are out there, we think we could spend the rest of our lives yeah. <laughs> into all of them. But do you think it's possible that Satan is excited about the fact that he can cause division in every single sector of society, whether it be within the church, whether it be within social economic setting classes, whether it be within certain careers, whether it be within certain governments, within certain countries. It seems like this issue has divided every single part of society. Do you think Satan is possibly excited about that and fostering it to help uh, distract from the gospel? Well, there's no doubt that that he divides and likes to um, divide people. But I I really don't think it is so much a satanic 
uh, orchestrated plan as it is the fact that politics has really been the real problem with this issue. It, it's a p- more political issue than ever. Mm-hmm. And it all stemmed from the previous government getting the vaccine on time, uh, not taking three years, but doing it within nine months. Uh, the other p- party basically didn't want that to happen, quite frankly. And they tarnished it and destroyed the credibility of people in it. So I don't think it's so much the, the devil behind it. I would say this, though, that the, the COVID has shown us very clearly how coercive economic power can be used to make people do things. Yeah. In other words, it is very, very clear that there are people who are not willing to take the vaccine, but the more, more that they learn that they will lose their job or they can't travel or they, they need to, to do something, automatically almost everybody wants to take it. So it gives you an idea. We used to say, well, it's impossible that something like this could happen. But you can very well see with the mark of the beast using coercive power because the mark of the beast says you can't buy, you can't sell. You can't do any kind of a commerce unless you have the mark of the beast. And COVID has shown us quite clearly that once that coercive economic power is used and we did like government, people now yield to it. And uh, I think that's a very good sign that what seemed to be impossible to get people to do things, it's become very, very clear. It's very easy once it becomes a coercive uh, economic policy of the government in the future in respect to the taking of the market of the beast. So I, I, can see the, the, I can see that this is actually the, the presage setting the stage, basically, for something of this nature to eventually happen, which is unavoidable because prophetically, we know the Bible says it's coming our way. But it's shown us exactly how it can be done and how effective it can be as well. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 741. And we are glad that you have tuned in to That's Truth. Let me encourage you to invite others to tune in, whether to be tuned in live during tonight's episode or to listen to the rebroadcast on Saturday afternoons here on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse or maybe to on your own time or on their own time, download the podcast and listen to it. And if you're interested in going and listening to the program to glean the information in a uh, rate at which you can pause the program and take notes, you can go to Google and type in That's Truth Podcast, and you choose your provider, whether it be Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and then you can look for the latest episode. And usually by Friday, we have put up, by the end of Friday, we have put up the episode from that Tuesday, previous Tuesday. There are a number of ways that you can interact with us. And if you have a question, we would love for you to go ahead and ask that question. We have pastor has plenty of material that he has prepared and he will be teaching but until we get your questions he will be teaching you can call and be put live on the air 1-268-462-7420 i'll give that to you again as you get your phone unlocked and begin to open the phone app call and be put live on the air the line is open and available for you 1-268-462-7420 you can WhatsApp or text your questions to one 782 1454 Or you can go to Facebook, Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page, click on the Facebook Live video feed, and you can listen to the program, watch behind the scenes, and also comment your questions right there on the same device. 
We a couple. Yeah, yeah. Nathan, before we move on, could you read um, for the if you um, First Timothy chapter four, um, verse one and two? I think there's a powerful verses. This is a response to the question about um, these false teachings being of demonic origin. I think that's a, a, a fantastic verse that is there, and I think it would help to enlighten where we, what, we're, what we're facing today. And how First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 1 and 2. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Yeah, see the two things there, uh, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons or devils, basically. That is very, very clear. And notice it in the last times, final phase of, and we are now living in what is called the Laodicean age, uh, which is the lukewarm age of the church, which is the uh, just the preamble before our Lord returns. We're now waiting for the Lord's uh, rapture of the church, basically. But the thing that he warns us here is that this is going to happen. Demonic spirits are going to influence and seduce people, and these doctrines that they seduce are demonic doctrines, basically. I think nothing can be clearer than, than those particular words. I know I've been told that when Secret Service agents are being trained to spot counterfeit money, they study the truth. They study the real thing. Before we delve into our topic tonight, can you just give us a summary of what is true Christianity? Well, true Christianity is based on the scriptures, uh, the foundation of biblical Christianity, the scriptures, and fundamentally it centers around Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is the focus of all prophecy uh, in the Old Testament, and he finds fulfillment in the New Testament. And in the uh, in the epistles, there is an explanation as to who this person is. So it really focuses on Christ, and it focuses on the fact that Christ died his atoning death for human sin, so that man be forgiven and pardoned. But to be able to fulfill that atoning death, he had to be both God and man at the same time. And that's why the Bible teaches that he was incarnated and became a man and lived among us. Man had sinned, and therefore man has to pay for sin. But man cannot adequately fulfill the requirements that God uh, requires because God is an absolute holy eternal being. And that's where the fact that he had to be both God and man at the same time. He's a perfect reconcile, uh, reconciler. He's a mediator. He can take hold of God's hand and man's hand and bring the two, two together in a form of reconciliation. But it's important to understand that true Christianity focuses on Christ, uh, his life, his death, and his work on the cross for us, and also after his resurrection ascension, and now he's interceding for the believer. But it all focuses on who Christ is, what he accomplished for us on the cross, and making salvation available through faith and trust in the finished work of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we started a, another series on cults, and we were talking uh, the last couple of weeks about a cult. And tonight we're going to start another topic, or still on the cults, but the Christadelphians. Pastor, who exactly are the Christadelphians? I know that some people may not be familiar with the, the term and uh, the particular movement of the particular group, but uh, here in Antigua, you, I think you have at least two churches. I know you have one on Grays Hill, and you, you, there used to be one on All Saints Road, um, almost midway up that road after you pass the traffic lights. I'm not too sure if they moved or not, but there used to be a sign there. Uh, the Christadelphians really is what you might call a restorationist group. 
uh, more like Millerian, uh, that is, they believe in the the uh, uh, the, the thousand year rule of Christ. They profess to be a Christian uh, faith movement, but they hold to what is called a Unitarian view of God. That is, they're non-Trinitarian. They believe that uh, there's only one God, that Jesus is not God, the Holy Spirit is not God. Uh, currently, they have about 50,000 members, and they have about 850 congregations, and these are located in 120 countries. Uh, the aim of the group initially, really, uh, is to get back to the basic, simple form of Christianity. Uh, it seems to have an antithesis for the established churches. So the whole goal is to get back as close to primitive Christianity as possible. Uh, and that, that essentially is, is, is what this movement uh, is about. But the idea is that they're restoring the truth that was lost. They're millenarian in the fact that they believe that there's going to be a thousand years year of Christ, but they're Unitarian in their belief in regards to God, that they're non-Trinitarian, don't believe in the Trinity. And uh, But the whole idea is to get back to this basic, essential form of Christianity that you find in the New Testament. Now, you referenced that they believe in the thousand-year rule of Christ. Do you believe in that? Of course I believe in the thousand years of Christ. Uh, the Bible teaches that in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. Uh, our Lord is going to rule on earth for a thousand years. That comes after the tribulation period. And that is spelled out. As a matter of fact, in the prophetic writings in the book of Isaiah, uh, it talks about the time when the lion would lie down with the sheep, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and a child would play with a snake, and it wouldn't bite him, and people would live a hundred years would be like uh, one year, basically. That is the promised um, idyllic paradise that we're waiting for, that Christ will establish when he returns, uh, and uh, he deals with the, the world and Israel and the church, and then he establishes his kingdom. Before we move on to the history of this organization, you mentioned that they don't believe in the Trinity. Can a person be a born-again Christian and not believe in the Trinity? It's inconceivable for me to uh, believe that a person can uh, reject the Trinity and still be born of God. Because if Christ is not God, for example, his sacrifice on the cross is not efficacious. I mean, how can, uh, if he's an ordinary man, how can one man pay sins for the whole world? So clearly, the mere fact that you're saying that Christ is not God, you're undermining the very credibility of the atonement. If the Holy Spirit is not God, again, by what means are you going to get converted? because he is the agent through which God brings conviction. And the thing about these people, they don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a person either. So how are you going to be converted? If you, so if you reject the Son, you reject the, <coughs> the Spirit. It virtually seems to me impossible that you can have a conversion experience. I don't see how it's possible. Who was their founder, and could you give us a brief history of the movement? Well, the founder is a guy called Dr. John Thomas. Uh, he was born in London um, in 1805. He studied medicine uh, at a place called uh, Charlie in London. Uh, he decided to migrate to America in 1832, but while he was on his way to migrate to America, he was on a ship. And while that ship was passing across the Atlantic, headed to America, uh, it developed a, a dangerous leak. And the passengers on the boat were panicking. Some were very fearful that uh, they were going to drown. Dr. Thomas had never thought about death before. He had never given any thought to religion before. But when he observed the panic mode of all of these people, he himself uh, was fearful what would happen after if he were to die in that particular uh, event. 
uh, he resolved that if he landed safely on the soil of America, he would uh, sp- he would spare no moment, no time to find out the truth about what happens to man after he dies. Uh, he became deeply concerned about uh, death and what happens after death. So, so far we're good. Uh, so <laughs> yes, correct. Um, uh, not long after he arrived in America, he met what is called um, Alexander Campbell, the people who were the Campbellites. Uh, these are also known today as the Churches of Christ and the Disciples of Christ. Uh, Thomas uh, became converted but to the Campbellite movement. Uh, he was later baptized and soon became involved in the preaching ministry. Uh, in 1834, uh, he became so closely connected with the Campbellites that he became the editor of the Apostolic uh, Advocate, which was published by the Campbellites. But later there was a disagreement that developed between Campbell and uh, Dr. Thomas, and uh, this emerged uh, from two things. Number one, Dr. Thomas believed that before a person uh, should be baptized, that person should have some kind of knowledge of the Scriptures, and etc. But Campbell didn't believe that. He just believed if a person hears the gospel and believes, that's it. He just believed that the person should have some information and knowledge before that. The second thing is, he believed that when Christ returned, uh, there would be a, a resurrection. Campbell didn't believe that there would be a resurrection when Christ returned. So these differences led to a split in 1837. Uh, fortunately for Dr. Thomas, some of the Campbellites uh, agreed with him on these views about the matter that there was need for a person to have knowledge of the Scripture before baptism, and that when Christ returned, there was going to be a resurrection. So they went and they joined, uh, joined with him. And then, uh, and then in 1843, uh, he became interested in the Millerite movement, which is the Adventist movement. Uh, Miller was a, a Baptist who studied the Scriptures and thought that Christ was going to return in 1843. And then when Christ did not return in 1843, he projected 1834 in October. It didn't happen. He recognized he was wrong, and he admitted he was wrong. But this was a movement that attracted Dr. Thomas, and he embraced the idea of not only the the second coming of Christ, but Miller emphasized also the millennium. So he brought both this advent, second advent of Christ, and the millennium movement into his movement, which was not part of the Campbellite movement. Uh, And then in 1846... Um, he began to do a series of lectures, and in those series of lectures, he, he talked about eight, uh, doct- uh, 30 doctrinal points that became the backbone of what would f- become the Campbellite movement. Um, he, his, his, his ideas about doctrine is written in his book called Ellipsis Israel, which means the hope of Israel. And so you've got the core doctrines that were then established by him. Then in 1864, um, they decided that they were against war. Uh, they're pacifists. But that was the time of the Civil War in America. So in order to not go to war, you had to be part of a religion that were religiously opposed to the war. So in 1864, he formed this Christadelphian movement, which is a pacifist, pacifist anti-war movement, so that those who were part of his movement did not have to go and engage in a civil war. That took place in it. So it was actually founded in 1864, the Christadelphians. Um, when uh, Thomas died, um, um, he died in 1871, 
and the movement was carried on by a guy called Robert Roberts. And it is Robert Roberts that wrote a book called <coughs> A Guide to the Formation and Conduct of the Christadelphian Ecclesias. Uh, this is where he pretty much sets out how to these churches can be established, and it's become a uh, became a uh, a model of how to establish these, these particular churches. In eighteen eighty, there was a conflict uh, that caused the group to be split, and uh, they were split into two groups: one called the unamended group, and one called the amended group. The difference between these two groups is this. One group believed that only the deceased who are in Christ would be raised from the dead and have eternal life. The rest would simply remain dead without any conscious existence. That was the unamended group believed that. However, the amended group believed that everyone who has been exposed to the gospel uh, will be raised from the dead at the final judgment. And if they are found to be uh, wicked, they would be annihilated uh, just like those who didn't hear. This is the essential difference between the two. One believed that uh, only those that heard the gospel were resurrected. The other group believed that uh, only those who were raised who actually uh, and have eternal life um, who were deceased. So there's a subtle difference between the two of them, but that that is what caused the division. Uh, today, most of the Philadelphians follow the uh, amended group, which believes that those who hear the gospel will be raised, and if they are found to be wicked, they will be uh, uh, annihilated. Uh, those that did not hear the gospel would remain uh, remain dead. They would never be resurrected. Most of the Philadelphians believe that today. Uh, another uh, movement, another period of time, was in 1970. There was an attempt to merge these two groups, the unamended group and the amended group, uh, but they could not agree on this matter of the resurrection again, and therefore they were never able to come together as a group. Uh, today, uh, the group has about 850 churches, and they've got churches in Africa, Australia, New Zealand, North America, Southeast Asia, um, Europe, and yes, even here in the Caribbean. There's a small group in the Caribbean. I know of one church in Barbados. I know at least of two churches here in Antigua. I'm not familiar with any other churches in the Caribbean, but at least they're in the Caribbean for sure. What would be the approach that you would advise if a listener has a family member that is attending the church? Well, I, like, like everything else, what really matters and should matter to every believer has to do with truth. How that group's doctrine aligns with biblical truth. The Bible is a standard by which you uh, evaluate any movement, any cult, any any uh, any organization. Quite frankly, and I would uh, recommend to people who are part of that movement uh, to try to find out what they believe and see what they believe if it aligns with biblical Christianity and authentic Christianity. If it doesn't, uh, you need to move out and separate and get out of that error. Uh, because if you read uh, uh, Corinthians, it says, come out from among them and be separate. So once a movement begins to teach false doctrine uh, that is contrary to the fundamentals of Scripture, uh, I would recommend that uh, family members try to get those people out uh, of those kind of movements because ultimately it's the truth that you believe that uh, would lead to conversion and salvation. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 7.59. We are glad that you are listening, and we are talking about the cult of Christadelphians, 
But before we get back to that, let me just mention that this is a live interactive program on Tuesday evenings, and we look forward to your interaction. You can call and be put live on the air by calling one 462 You can WhatsApp or text your question to one 782 Or you can join us on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Look for the Facebook Live video feed and click on that. You can comment your questions right there on your device. Pastor, a listener from uh, the Southern Caribbean sends in a message in relation to the question earlier about the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine. says they are due to get their second dose of the vaccine tomorrow. But they mentioned that there's a lot of information circulating that makes it difficult for the average person to reason soundly about what they should really believe about the vaccine. Any words of advice or thoughts? Look, I, I can't be a pope for you. I can't be a pope for anybody. I can just tell you what I feel. I understand. the Listen, the concerns are real. There's no question in my mind. I've had enough sent in to me already. And as I said, these are not ignoramuses or idiots or clowns or... Um, you know, people that don't are not learned. These are learned people who have the f- have certain facts that have come to light. And uh, so, I would say to you that you have to make your mind up, make your decision, but uh, make your decision based on as much um, in- information that you can get. I, that's the best I can say to you. I have taken both doses. I I don't have any problem. I don't feel any way. When I took the first vaccine. Um, it was the second day that had me, I was cold, I was in the bedroom, and I uh, had to be covering up during the day. That's very unusual for me. Uh, but the third day, it was like nothing happened. Nothing affected me after that. When I took the second dose, the same thing happened. Second day, I had the same same issue with coldness, etc. And then after the third day, nothing happened. And I felt quite well. I, I feel quite safe, to be very honest with you. And um, so I'm not fearful of anything that I, that happened. I think um, I probably made the right decision then. But I am concerned about the information I'm getting now from people who have uh, who are doctors, uh, people who are <coughs> virologists as well. Um, they are raising some red flags that I think has uh, got a lot of people rethinking this whole matter. And as I said before, I think if it was not this political mess, I think people would be more open. Uh, But um, I think politics has really messed up this whole thing badly. And I don't know how they can repair it (coughs) at this point in time. So just use your judgment on the matter. But for me, I know other people have taken it um, around the same time I took it. Some people in our church have not affected us. Uh, any negative way. Yeah, I took both doses and I never had a single side effect. Yeah, so, so um, it is a serious disease, though. I can tell you that. Uh, there are people who are dying from it. And you almost, I don't know what the, the, what the statistics are right now, but I'll tell you this. I do believe that if the vaccine was not done in time, I think the death would have been far more than it currently is. So I do think it has saved a lot of lives. Uh, but again, it, it's it's, it's the, the the side effects that people look at in the long term now that is of great concern. Um, so I, I really wish I could tell you something else, but I I don't want to be a pope. Um, I can just give you my the Bible doesn't speak to this issue in any definitive way, and neither can I. I can just ask you to use your wisdom and get the best advice possible, the best counsel, medically that is, and, and make a decision either way. 
We're talking about the cult of the Christadelphians. Pastor, not a whole lot of people have heard about the Christadelphians. Would you say that there's any peculiar features or maybe destructive elements that you'd like to bring to light to yeah. our attention? Yeah. Well, I, I, not so much um, destructive elements as there are. Some things are very peculiar about them. For example, they don't vote. They're most like the, the JW who don't um, take any involvement in in, in uh, governmental affairs. Uh, they don't run for any political office. Okay. Uh, they don't go to war. They're pacifists. They don't believe in war. Uh, the other thing is, though, that the members uh, usually read the Bible daily, but they read both the Old and the New Testament at the same time, basically, to try to they believe that because they're so coordinated, so they try to, to get a balance between those, those two. Um, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Oh, that's a good thing. That's yeah. a good thing. Uh, they discourage other their members from having any fellowship with other Christians, okay. uh, Christian groups or other denominations, uh, simply because they are a rest- restorationist group. And they think that we are ones in error because we believe in the Trinity, we believe Jesus God, et cetera, et cetera. So um, the interaction um, between themselves and the others are, are very limited. The other thing is that they don't call themselves a church. They use the word ecclesia, which is the... Greek word for church, so they call their church their churches ecclesias as opposed to uh, uh, Christadelphian church. And when they have gatherings, we would say that we have a gathering for Bible study when we want to enlighten or we want to um, inform people or edify people. They don't call these things like Bible study; they call fraternal gatherings. So there's just a few peculiar things that, uh, if you hear those particular terms, you're dealing with the the uh, the Christadelphians. So there's some unique things about them. I know a number of the uh, organizations or cults that we have discussed have their own publications, whether they be uh, print or online, or sometimes it's even through radio or through video. Do the Christadelphians have that? Yeah, strangely enough, even though it's a small movement, 50,000 people, 108 churches, basically 120 countries, they do a lot of publications. Um, they publish the, Cal- uh, the Christadelphian. Uh, they publish also the Christadelphian tidings of the kingdom of God. They also publish the Bible magazine. It's a periodical. Uh, they also pre- pre- publish the Testimony magazine, the Gospel News magazine, the Faithful Life magazine, the Lookout magazine, and the Christadelphian Advocate. So these are several uh, uh, periodical publications that this movement um, uh, uses. You'll notice that in a lot of these cults, especially the one we studied last week, last week as well, uh, th- this is where they seem to major in. And that's also significant with the the Jehovah's Witness, for example. They always have the Awake magazine, uh, the Herald, etc. Those are things that they're constantly having. They, they make literature available to people and it's very, very slick and really well written and a lot of it, times there's a lot of visual aids that is attractive to people. And I, I think that is something probably that even the, the, the Christian church should learn from, that we need to get more literature out to people and make it in such a way, uh, present it in such a way that it's attractive, people want to read it. Uh, I don't think that there are many uh, established Baptist churches or other churches that really put so much emphasis on publish it, publishing material for putting people's hands. That may be a grave mistake that we're making because the cults are so successful in utilizing this kind of publication. So appropriate, well-done marketing 
is not against biblical mandates? No, I, I think that uh, anything a Christian does should try to aim at excellence, to be very honest with you. I think if you're going to write a book, you should try to write as best a book you can. I think if you've got a Christian artist that can do artistic work. I think he should always try to, to do the best artwork he can do. I think a carpenter of Christian carpenter should try to do the best. A joiner, a, a, a mechanic, I think he should want to be number one, to be very honest with you. Everything that we do, we should always aim as excellence if, as, as much as life within us because in, in, in a sense we are representing uh, Christ. I think if a, a teacher is, is a, a school teacher should try to be the best teacher in school. I see nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, I think a person working in the bank to try to be the best bank teller or the best bank manager if he's a believer. He's representing Christ at every level and uh, we want to pursue excellence as, as much as we can. Are there any other names or headlines that this organization goes under? Yeah, uh, sometimes they're called the uh, Berean uh, Christadelphians. They borrow that Berean term. Uh, so they use that word. They use, sometimes they're called the Dawn. Sometimes they're called Brothers of Christ. And other times they're called the Thomasites because it's Dr. Thomas that started it. So they might go under one of those uh, other names. The other thing, uh, that they got at least three schools uh, to help promote their um, and to train. There's a Texas Philadelphian Camp and Conference Center. There's also the Terra Nova Bible School in Newfoundland in Canada. And then there's the Russian Bible School in Russia. So those are the four main uh, training centers for this particular group. So they're fairly diverse in different parts of the world. It's not just one country. Yeah. Remember I told you there's 120 countries, basically 850 churches, 50,000 pe- people, basically. So they're spreading. They've got two churches here in Antigua. They've got one in Barbados. And I'm not too sure exactly how many others they have within the other islands. What can you tell us about their organizational structure? Well, the thing about the, uh, the organization structure is that they are thoroughly what you call congregational. They don't have this hierarchy that you find in other cultic movements like the the Jehovah's Witness, etc., or even the SD Adventists who have these, these conferences and different stuff like that. Um, the highest level would be the ecclesia, which is a local church, quite frankly. Just like independent Baptist churches, the local church is the final authority. They saw with these uh, people, the ecclesia. Uh, the local uh, ecclesia or local church uh, is normally run by a norm a rotation of the mature members within the church. For example, they would have a presiding uh, brethren, they have a managing brethren, they have a secretary and a treasurer, and they have a superintendent of the Sunday school. They don't have like a title like a pastor, quite frankly, and they kind of rotate, etc., uh, etc. Et so it, it's, it's not uh, highly structured, basically. Mm-hmm. It's basically congregational, like we would in an independent Baptist church, where the, the church members basically are the one that uh, would make final decisions in terms of voting, etc., etc. So there's no, no massive structure like the Catholic Church. We've got the Pope. The, the cardinals, the archbishops, the bishops, the priests, etc., etc., deacons, whatever it is. There's nothing like that whatsoever. The individual church is the sovereign, as it were. And what you've said so much so far about them, obviously there are some things that they are wayward in, but there's a lot of things that they've, they're on the right path uh, in yeah. my interpretation of Scripture, but yet it's... I agree with you. The, the th- one thing about that, remember, they're trying to go back to primitive Christianity, 
okay. to get away from all of this formalism and this uh, rituals that you find within established churches with you know with, with the candles and the processions and this uh, regalia that people wear and this fancy mitre and all this kind of stuff they're trying to go back to the basic fundamental core primitive like what was in the book of Acts basically but again uh, that's the good part of it uh, but again, you can go and, and remember that Dr. Thomas is not a theologian. He was a medical doctor. He had no theological background whatsoever. As a matter of fact, you will discover that all of these guys that started the cults, think of any one of them right now, and you'll see that none of them had any theological background, no Bible training. Ellen G. White, none. Right? Miller, that started the seventh, none, basically. Kipsadelphia, none. Uh, we, met, we, we we studied the um, the... Um, Russell name. I'm trying to. Con- I'm confusing them with the Christian Science yeah, Movement. Yeah. Quite frankly, Unity. Unity. Yeah, we can't. You know, the Fillmore's again. No, no, no background basically. And when you, we study Christian Science, you'll find that uh, Mary Baker Eddy Peterson again. No, no theological background. A lot of these people, uh, quite frankly, uh, because of not having that that background. Uh, came to wrong conclusions because you've got to understand the grammar of the Greek language. You've got to understand the grammar of the the, the Hebrew language, and um, you can if you read some verses that seem to contradict uh, what the Bible teaches or what we believe in. The explanation often is found in understanding the grammar and etc. Uh, etc. Et so when you don't have that theological background, you could come to conclusion. Once you reach a conclusion and you make it a dogma, yeah. It is back. hard to change it. I think that's the problem you have with all of these skulls, quite frankly. Uh, it, it's like, uh, it's just, it's very difficult once you've uh, embraced a doctrine uh, to, to then say, I was wrong. It takes tremendous humility and, and, and brokenness of heart to admit that. Pastor, I think we would agree, in fact, I know we would agree that the credibility of any religious organization really is how they match up to biblical truth. So how do the Christadelphians match up to the biblical standard of doctrinal truth? In spite of the fact that we just pointed out that they have some very good things about them to read the Bible, both the only New Testament, they're trying to get back to primitive Christianity. They have a very basic structure of congregational approach to uh, church government. Um, all of these are highly commendable. But the truth of the matter is, there's not a major important doctrine that this group has not denied. And this is staggering. Uh, for example, they deny the Trinity. Uh, they deny and reject the deity of Christ. They deny the personality of the Holy Spirit. They deny that the devil is even a person. Uh, that he has personality. They deny the fact that there's no hell, there's no reality to hell. They deny that man has a soul, that man just is just a physical body, basically. And they hold the caricature about the atonement, uh, not uh, fully... They have elements of the atonement that they accept and believe in, but their understanding of the, the atonement is completely wrong. And then they have a false view of salvation that in order to be saved, there are three stages of salvation, quite frankly, that you've got to, be, you've got to believe, you've got to be baptized, and then you have to be obedient. So to be saved, you have to do all those three things to be saved. Um, we would never support the errors of the, this movement, but those are basically 
key errors. Errors about God, about Christ, about the Holy Spirit, about the devil, about humanity, about salvation, about the atonement. I mean, how much worse can you get in terms of, of having false beliefs in, in connection with these basic fundamental doctrines? So there are um, in error in, in terms of these great doctrines of the Bible and therefore they're in conflict with Scripture. Can you give us a little more detail and maybe explore some of these specific beliefs uh, like we have with previous cults? Yeah, well, the as we did with unity, I, I want to just go through some of these doctrinal false beliefs that they have and actually quote uh, their writing so that nobody disputes that we're trying to put words into their mouths as to what they really teach. Uh, they are, in terms of God, for example, they're non-Trinitarian. They are what you call Unitarian in belief. They believe that only God the Father is God. Uh, if I may quote uh, from them, uh, we reject the idea of a God with multiple independent personalities uh, as not being in harmony with the teaching of Scripture. The Bible teaches that God is one and is not part of a trinity that is found in the Philadelphian faith. You can find out if you hit in uh, philadelphianfaith.org on, online, you'll see that there's an exact quotation from them. So as far as they're concerned, um, the trinity is a myth. Uh, it's not real, and uh, there's no such thing as a trinity. Uh, they also went on to say there are not two or three eternal persons before the man Christ Jesus but one, only God the Father. So they're not three persons within the Godhead. There's only one person. And in actual fact, um, God was, uh, uh, Christ was a form of God. In other words, they believe what's called modalism. Uh, the Christ was the same as the Father. Uh, that's called modalism. There are people who believe that God it took on the shape of the Holy Spirit, it took on the shape of, of Christ. That's called modalism. They don't believe that they're separate entities and separate individuals. So they don't believe. Uh, yes, go ahead. Pastor, we have a call from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you, Brother Williams, for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Good evening to the panel. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? How are you? I'm doing well. Praise God. Pastor uh, Murphy. Yes, sir. I have a tricky question for you tonight. I don't know. Well, if it's tricky, I can answer it and answer. If I need to take <laughs> some time to answer it, I'll, I'll uh, answer it next time. Yes, go ahead. Uh, before I ask you a question, last week there, I sent uh, a video for you with a guy that married. And after 13 years, he get to know any lady with my brothers and sisters. You, you, I get that video from me. Wow, no, I didn't. I didn't. Um, what happened? I, I must tell you, I'm having a problem with my my cell phone. The battery gets hot, and when it gets hot, the whole system just freezes. So there are times when I have to remove the battery. I'm trying to get one. Um, hopefully, um, somebody coming in on uh, tomorrow. Hopefully oh. that uh, they'll get it. But uh, so sometimes the I uh, I have to t take the battery out of my. Phone so it can work. So it's, it's just, I'm going through that period at this point in time. So I have not seen that video as yet. Okay, well, let me tell you. Too. Uh, the guy of said that he met a girl 2008. Uh huh. And then they had a first child 2011. Uh huh. They married 2011. And they had a second child 2015. Uh huh. And after 13 years, they just find out they have any ladies, brothers, and sisters. Yeah. So I, I know they should divorce or should continue. Boy, that is one of the moral <laughs> dilemmas that is going to become increasingly problematic in the future, especially with these test two babies. There are a lot of people who have test two babies, and uh, they are probably going to end up in the long term 
you don't know you can't hide who the father is it's very possible that this is going to happen again and again man is tampering with god's response what god when man tries to play god he creates confusion and i think in the future a lot of these situations are going to be very very real uh etc but uh that is an unfortunate situation and uh I, if he had come to me personally uh, and asked me about that one, I I could not sanction he being married to his, his sister. I couldn't sanction that. Uh, I know it's a tough decision that had to be made, but I think in the interest of the kingdom of God, I think a person would should really weigh that one very carefully. And uh, uh, biblically, that is clearly not scriptural that you should marry your sister. The Bible forbids that. So. Um, you know, there's there some tough things that have to be made, tough decisions, but in the interest of the kingdom of God, we've got to make tough We're not the first people got to make tough decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes we have to just, in spite of what we want and what we like and what we feel, in the interest of serving God and for clear conscience and to be in line with Bi- the Bible, we just do what God says because ultimately we're going to get a greater reward in the future. What's the other thing, sir? And Pastor Mubi, you know, lady from Barbados, like a woman named she says she's a prophet. Uh-huh. And she says she prophesies that for Dominica, uh-huh. if the government do not open the, the church doors, a lot of things going to happen in Dominica, earthquake and thing and going to happen in Dominica. She, she, she prophesied that. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, I, I don't give credibility to these, these kind of things, quite I, frankly. I, uh, I do. I, uh, and you know what I can't understand, Brother Williams, is that there's so many of these prophets making all of these prophets that come proved to be false, and still they're able to continue as prophets. I mean, the Bible is very, very clear. If a man claimed to be a prophet and give a false prophet, he would be stoned in the New Test- Old Testament. Day. Now we don't recommend that people stone people. To be honest with you, but quite frankly, if a man is claiming to be a, a voice of God and he's making these predictions, and then it's discovered that these predictions are false, he's a false prophet. So why would I continue to follow a false prophet? And, and that's where I find that the, the the attitude of people towards biblical truth today is so ambivalent, uh, and, and I, I, it's really misleading to me how people could continue to follow people who are giving false predictions. Uh, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it to be honest with you. Uh, but I don't. People somehow are able to balance these things, and it, it just puzzles me greatly. And to make it worse, she's a woman. Lord. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yes, and my question now tonight is sure. about uh, Genesis chapter twenty and looking twenty one with Abraham and Sarah uh-huh. when the king had take Sarah, Sarah to be right. I know God. Uh-huh. If he thought she could judge him, and yeah. Abraham said that Sarah is his sister. Right, right. But 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 some of in true life she is Abraham's sister. Well, she's his half sister. So in in, in, uh, in relation to that, yeah, but again, uh, it was a deception, however you look at it, because he knew she was his wife, and he just used that as a, a basis uh, because he was fearful for his, 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 his flesh, and he jeopardized, uh, he jeopardized his wife's uh, moral purity. As a matter of fact, when the king took her, uh, and the king was just acting as kings in those days. I mean, quite frankly, the king is a king. He can have any woman he wants. So you come down into Egypt, and I see this beautiful chick. I want her, and I, there's nothing you can do. I'm the king, basically. And besides, remember, the pharaohs are gods, so they have a right to whatever they want. And Abraham, uh, quite frankly, was acting out of fear. Uh, he's a man of faith, but here's a man of faith acting out of fear. 
and he really jeopardized her purity. Fortunately for her, God intervened and told this this man, this woman is this man's wife. If you touch him, I will smite you and destroy you, you, your your uh, your firstborn and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So. Um, it's it was a deception to be very honest with you, and that shows you, by the way, that uh, even a man of faith like Abraham, and by the way, that's not the first mistake Abraham made. So even though he's 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 the man of faith, he's called a man of faith. We can make mistakes as well. It's just showing us how um, uh, susceptible we human beings are to to uh, giving into pressure uh, to save our skins. You remember what the devil told uh, Job and told the Lord. You know, you touch, you, you know, you take away all his, but touch his flesh. Yeah. And he'll curse you because he realizes that self-preservation is a great principle that governs our lives. Uh, but that was Abraham acting not out of faith, but out of fear. And um, he almost caused his wife to be abused by another man. And uh, Lord knows how that would have turned out. But God miraculously intervened and, and salvaged the relationship. Do I remember right that Abraham actually did that on two occasions? Yeah, it's two occasions. And, and, and also uh, his son, uh, his son followed his suit with him as well. Ishmael? Uh, no, I think it was Isaac. Uh, Isaac. Isaac. He, Isaac he, okay. he, yeah, also said it was his, his uh, you know, wife was his. So his daddy is now following, his son is following steps of daddy, quite frankly. Okay. But is it not marvelous that, I mean, it's not marvelous that you've got this great man of faith. I mean, is it, I don't want to say this. It's an encouragement to us to realize that we, we're not perfect. Yeah. Nobody is perfect. And we yeah. can make mistakes, but God forgives and God pardons. And not only that, we can we can make a lot of mistakes, but God can intervene and, and salvage the relationship uh, on our behalf. So it encourages us to serve him. And in spite of our imperfections, we have a relation with him and he's going to take care of his people. Okay, thank you very God much. God bless you, my brother. Thank you for the call, Brother Williams, and that was a great way to summarize that, Pastor. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 824. You are listening to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 kilohertz AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And for this program, you can also follow us and listen on Facebook. Go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page. Click on the Facebook Live video feed and you can watch, listen, and comment your questions right there on your device. If you have a question, we would love for you to call in and be put live on the air. 268-462-7420. If you'd rather not speak live on the air but want to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one 782 Pastor, we have a question that has come in from a listener. He wants to know if when Jesus was born of Mary, if Mary was righteous or a sinner. And his thought process or concern is that if Mary was a sinner, how can Jesus be born of a sinful woman? Oh, look, we know that Mary was a sinner because Mary herself confessed that God was her Savior. Only sinners need Savior. So we, we know that she was um, a sinner, quite frankly. Um, I suspect that that has come in because um, I would not be at all surprised if this is not a Catholic who believes that the, what is called the Immaculate Conception, that Mary was conceived without any 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 sin. But that's not the biblical teaching, quite frankly. Um, 
They also teach that Mary never died, and she was taken directly up to heaven, and she was enthroned as queen of heaven. Myth, quite frankly, quite a myth. But uh, if you follow the story of Mary herself, uh, she made that confession that um, she that God was her savior, and the savior uh, is a person who saves from sin. God has a way of preserving the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ from any uh, tarnishing of the uh, his nature. And that God is responsible for that preservation. Remember that Mary was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And uh, God would have taken care of that fact. Even though he has the the nature of man, he is made in the likeness of man. Remember that, okay? In the likeness of the nature of man, he was not, he did not partake of the sinful nature, yet without sin, the Bible says. So God would have preserved uh, his humanity from becoming contaminated. With Remember that, that the, it seems in the scriptures that the Adamic natures come through the male. Mm-hmm. So don't forget that as well. Uh, even though Eve had been deceived by the devil, Adam was held responsible, and sin comes to the the male the male person. So th- that's not a problem for us theologically. We know one thing: that Christ was immaculate, and Christ was impeccable, and that Christ was uh, holy without sin. We know that. We know he's a perfect man. We know he's also a perfect deity. Uh, but in terms of Mary, uh, Mary was an ordinary person, except she was a virgin did not uh, uh, engage in sexual activity before she met uh, Joseph. Uh, She conceived Christ. God preserved Christ and made sure that his humanity was not contaminated. And of course, after Mary had children between Joseph and herself, it said that Joseph kept her until he was born, uh, did not know her. And the language there in the Bible is in that language of knowing her sexually, did not know her until after Christ. Uh, was, so we know she had children after Christ as well. Again, the Catholic Church does not believe in that. They preserve her perpetual virginity, which is a myth again, uh, because the Bible makes it very clear she had other children. So uh, God can do the impossible, and God can do the miraculous, and God can preserve the humanity of Christ without it becoming tarnished with any uh, sinful nature. And, and that's exactly what God did. We've got about 30 minutes left in tonight's episode of That's Truth. If you have a question, please call 1-268-462-7420 or send your question via WhatsApp or text message to 1-268-782-1454. Pastor, in the last 30 minutes, as we continue to discuss the beliefs of the Christadelphians and compare them to the biblical doctrine, uh, where do you want to pick up with that? Well, let me just mention here for those who might be listening. You know, we, we as a church, the church has historically had to what is called the, the, the Trinity, uh, a triune God, where uh, there are uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're of the same nature, but they are distinct persons. And I don't think anybody that looks at the baptism of Christ uh, could dispute uh, that Jesus was not the Father, and the Father was not Jesus, and the Holy Spirit was not the Father, and the Father was not the Holy Spirit. The problem that people have is, how do you explain this in, in human terms? And the answer is that we can't. We cannot fathom God, an infinite God. And, I, and I, I have said this before, it is this mystery that we cannot explain the Trinity. We know that the Bible teaches that the Father is God, 
Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, and first Peter, second Peter chapter 1, 7. The Son is God, John chapter 1, verse 1, John 10, 32, and 38. And also Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he's, he's from everlasting. The Holy Spirit is God, Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. Uh, the Holy Spirit is called God, and also Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, is called Lord, the Holy Spirit. So all we have in Scripture are these pronouncements that the Father is called God, the Son is called God, the Holy Spirit is called God. We can't explain how you can have three persons within the Godhead, one nature, they all have a divine nature, both are eternal, all three are eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, infinite, uh, immutable, etc. All the characteristics and all the attributes make make what God is. Each one of them, you can show you. And by the way, each one of them are involved in creation, in redemption. Uh, and if we had time, we can go to and show you that this is what the Bible teaches. It's not something that we have concocted. Uh, we, we and, and we have discovered this by revelation, not by reasoning. Uh, and that's why we can't work it out exactly in detail how, how this can be. And that's what makes the mystery of the Godhood, Godhead uh, something that's really appealing and attractive in Christianity. We just can't, and, and one day we will understand it for sure, but that mystery remains in such a way that we, uh, as I keep saying, that, and I'll say this before, if we can explain God in every detail, uh, we have taken the mystery out of Godhood. And we have we have brought God down to a level that man can now analyze Him in every detail. Uh, there has to be a, uh, a distance between man and God in terms of understanding and comprehension. So I just want to say that that uh, biblically, the Bible teaches that there is a God the Father, God the Son, and there is God the Holy Spirit. The other one, Nathan, that um, I want to move on to was the, the idea of the deity of Christ. Uh, this is what the Church teaches about the deity of, about Christ. And I quote, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is not the second person of the eternal trinity of gods, but the manifestation of the one eternal creator. In other words, God the Father was uh, manifested in Christ, and Christ was really a modal form or a manifest form of God the Father. Uh, Let me go on to quote what he said. Jesus Christ, therefore, is the, in the days of his weakness, had two sides, one deity, the other man. Listen to this. Hmm. Not as construed by the Trinitarians, which make Jesus the Son incarnate. The man was the Son whose existence dated from the birth of Jesus. The deity dwelling in him was the Father, who without beginning of days and was eternally pre-existent. So you see the difference? Jesus the man was born on a particular time, and the Christ uh really was God in Jesus. That's the it's almost like uh making a, a distinction between Christ and Jesus. The man Jesus and Christ is, is is God the Father, basically. This is what you might call a form of Gnosticism that uh divided the person of Christ and did not see that Jesus is Christ one person but made Jesus the man and Christ the God consciousness basically. Uh, this is basically the same kind of beliefs. So Jesus was merely a man indwelt by God. He did not exist prior to his birth on earth. But again, that contradicts uh, Scripture. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 8, 58, Before Abraham was, I am. Same name that God applied to himself in Exodus chapter 3. 
He is the self-existent one. And then in John chapter 17, when he's praying, he said, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you before the foundation of the earth, when I was with you. But the Philadelphians said he had no existence until he was born, basically. All contradictory. And then, of course, there are about seven different verses in the Bible that uh, um, directly uh, say that Jesus is God. John 1, 1. John 20, 28. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, Titus 2, 13, and 1 John 5, 25. Those verses explicitly declare that Jesus Christ is God. Uh, so to say that Christ was not God, he's not God the Son, and he's just a man and only had existence when he was born, and that uh, God the Father indwelt him, uh, quite frankly, is to be at odds with biblical Christianity and to deny the, Trinity, the deity of Christ is one of the most severe errors that could ever be made. It undermines everything that Christ has ever done, including his, his atonement for the sins of the world. And a person who denies a deity, it's virtually impossible for a person like that to be saved uh, because uh, unless Christ is God, his, his, his blood and his, his uh, atonement cannot be efficacious for the whole world and can never satisfy uh, God's righteousness and God's holiness. Let me just mention that if you are listening and you would like a more in-depth explanation of the Trinity throughout Scripture, there were two episodes that Pastor did that focused specifically on this topic. They were recorded uh, just over a year ago, and so you can go to the podcast uh, you can either go to Google and type in That's Truth Podcast and choose your preferred provider and then look for episode 116 and episode 117. Or you can go to our website, www.radiolighthouse.org. Scroll down to the second picture that you see, the large picture of a microphone. Right in the middle of the screen will be a circle that says podcast. Click on that, and then you will see a link for That's Truth Podcast in the archive. And you can go to episode 116, 117, and that would be three hours almost three hours of programming specifically focused on the topic of the Trinity throughout Scripture. We are excited to make those programs available to you, not only to you, but maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a family member or a friend who that is struggling with a specific topic. Maybe it is an addiction, alcohol, pornography. Maybe it's uh, what uh, the Bible says about drugs or uh, demonology or how do I deal with rejection? There are many, many topics out there, and tonight's episode will be episode 171. Pastor, what's another uh, doctrinal issue that you'd like to compare the Christadelphians' teaching to Scripture? Yeah. Well, again, we look at the major doctrines. You look at God, the deity of Christ. I think also we need to find out what their position is as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned. And what we discover is that they teach an error, a real serious error, as a matter of fact, is, is what I call theological poison, that the Holy Spirit is not a person. Uh, and let me quote what they said in, in, in the writings. The Spirit is not a personal God distinct from the Father, but the radiant, invisible power or energy of the Father. Uh, I mean, you think about that just a moment. That's basically, fundamentally, what the JW teaches, that the Holy Spirit is not a person. Um, he said the Spirit, the, the Father is spirit in focus, so intense as to be glowing substance that is inconceivable. And the Spirit, the Father's power in space, 
faith-filled diffusion, uh, quite frankly. I mean, whatever that means, uh, basically, is, is that God diffuses his, it's like a, a, a emanation from God. He's diffusing this this power from Himself, and that's what the Holy Spirit is. But the Holy Spirit Himself is not a separate entity. Again, if you look at John chapter sixteen, verse thirteen, and read that for just a moment, uh, about Nathan. John sixteen thirteen, and that says John sixteen thirteen. Let me just scroll down to it. It says, "How be it, when He, the Spirit of Truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth." For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, I don't know if you're aware, six different times in that verse, it's called he. Yeah. And in the Greek language, that's what it means. Uh, and, and notice the things that he will do. Uh, these are things that only a person can do. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll remind you of things to come, etc., etc. The Holy Spirit clearly is a person. Uh, if you look at John 14, verse 16, 17, and verse 26, for just a moment, John 16, 17, and 26. 14, 16, and 17. Yeah, 16, verse 17, 16, 17, and 26 of uh, John chapter 14. Okay. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. And skipping down to verse number 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Notice that three times is called him in that passage, and then he will teach you all truth and bring all things to your remembrance. But not only that, he will give you another comforter. The Greek language is another comforter of the same type. So that when, it, when that word another is used, uh, Christ is saying the comfort that's going to come is a similar person. Like I was your comforter when I was there with you. Another person of the same type. So uh, if you are on the, if you are saying that the Holy Spirit is not a person, virtually you're saying that Christ was not a person, because what our Lord, that word that is used specifically, is saying another comforter of the same type as I was to you. I was a person, I was there with you, and then He becomes the same person. And then I also said He's called Him. Or the, the things that are mentioned there, quite frankly, only a person can do. And the Bible makes it quite clear. And the other thing, I mean, we don't have time to go through all of this, Nathan, but you, how can you grieve a, uh, a thing? You grieve the Spirit, right? Uh, and Paul warns about grieving the Spirit. You're going to grieve a person. And then you also, how, you, how can you do um, despite uh, to a thing, basically? Insult a thing. You insult a person. And that's what it was, despite the Spirit, basically. If we had time, we, can, we could go through and show you that the Holy Spirit, uh, He talks, He speaks, He uh, informs, He enlightens, etc. And He can be grieved. Uh, we can show that he has emotions, he has intellect, uh, and he has will, right? And uh, you'll find that in Corinthians, that the gifts are given as the Spirit wills. Again, a force doesn't will. So to, to deny the Holy Spirit, and, and remember that you are saved through the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. So when you deny that he's a person, now how are you going to get saved? No, that, that's why I said. Well, that's to you why that, I have to redefine salvation. Yeah, yeah, because you have to. You have to. That's how I said. It, people who deny the deity of Christ and deny the the deity of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, 
I can never endorse that those people are genuinely authentic believers because I don't know how you can get saved without the Holy Spirit working in your life. And certainly, if you don't believe that Christ is who He is, it means that His, his sacrifice is not efficacious. So how then are you going to be saved? It, it bothers me that people don't follow the repercussions of these types of, of um, beliefs and what the ramifications are for the individual. Uh, so I think it's really tragic that this is the case. But again, notice that this is a group trying to go back to primitive Christianity, have got some significant things that are worth uh, emulating. But here at the same time, they've gone off on a deep end and gone into error. And that's why we call them out as a cult and not really a Christian movement. So I'm curious, what are their teachings or their thoughts on the topic of Satan or the devil? Well, the devil doesn't exist. Uh, there's no personal devil Uh and I want to quote what they said. The devil is not a personal, supernatural agent of evil. There is no such being in existence. There is no fallen angel called Satan the devil. Satan, when found in the Bible, means human adversary. And uh, is illustrative of what they call the allurements of the world. So they, they think that Satan is a metaphor. He's not a, a person, not an individual. Uh, in terms of the devil, they see the devil as synonymous with human sinful nature. Uh, again, that is a clear uh, error um, in Revelations twelve nine and Revelations 22. Satan and the devil are the same, uh, again. And I don't think anyone who is familiar with Matthew chapter 4... Uh, when the devil tempted Jesus, so and uh, what a, a, a metaphor tempted him, a metaphor spoke to him, a metaphor took him into the mountains, a metaphor took him onto the pinnacle of the temple, uh, and spoke to him. Uh, was was Christ uh, just imagining these things? Was he having a hallucination? I mean, it seems quite incredible that you can have a religious movement claiming to be Christianity that would deny the actual reality that there is a personal devil and that is a supernatural antagonistic being towards God and that uh, is working against God and that will one day be cast into the lake of fire. So, uh, again, this is a doctrine that is contrary to the Scriptures and that's why we cannot endorse this uh, particular movement as in any way orthodox or in line with biblical truth. So they're false teaching there again in connection with Satan. I've heard it said, and I believe it to be true, that what separates Christianity from other world religions or cults is how they deal with Jesus Christ and what light they view Jesus Christ in. With that being the case, can someone have a correct view of Jesus Christ but not believe that Satan is a real person and still be saved? Look, I, I find it hard to uh, personally, my own view on these kind of things, I think that uh, you have to accept the Bible for what the Bible teaches. I don't like this idea that you can select this and select the other mm -hmm. and because you're, you're, you know, you, you have truth about Christ and uh, if you have falsehood about what the Bible teaches about the devil, I think it's a whole package. But the important thing is to put your faith and trust in Christ. But I cannot see how a person that puts their faith and trust in Christ, who has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, will be misled in respect to these doctrines, especially in regards to Satan. I mean, from the very beginning, so how did this whole thing start then, Nathan, if there's no devil? How yeah. did man get tempted? In the first case, so it undermines the very basis of 
biblical um, teaching on salvation and the whole concept of man's fall and and and, and uh, etc. So I I can't conceive of a person denying the existence of a physical devil and yet embrace the Christian faith. To my mind, the two are so contradictory. It's hard for me to fathom that two can be held uh, like that. And uh, Along the lines of what you were saying, that we need to take Scripture as it is written. Um, something that was sent in by a listener, and it wasn't their words, but it was something that they came across. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts. The biblical creation account confuses me. This magical being who came from nothing, made the universe from nothing, and then he made all plants and animals from nothing— but when it came to Adam, he made him from the dirt. And then seeing that Adam was bored, he made Eve from a rib. Why not just make them both from nothing like everything else? Did he run out of magic or something from nothing? No, I think that's God's prerogative. There's a person now who's so arrogant. They're trying to tell God how to God to operate. I mean, this is the most disdainful treatment of God that I've ever heard coming from anybody who would send something like that. Man needs to humble himself. What we God has revealed, God has revealed. And the essence of man's uh, matter is that man needs to humble himself before God and accept the truth as God has presented. Man can't dictate to God how God created the world. If God wanted to make a distinction between, and I think it's, uh, it is, um, in my judgment, um, prudent that our Lord made a distinction between how he made mankind to show that man is distinctly different from every other creature. Man is not just a mere animal as the evolutionists teach. Man is unique because he's made in the image of God. And this is what differentiates man. And God did that. And I think that uh, man ought to submit to that authority of God. Yeah, Pastor, we have Codrington calling in from Antigua. Codrington, thank you for the call. And go ahead with your question, please. Yeah, um, I was just saying, now, if um, Jesus Christ was coming into the world, um, did he have to use God as um, a father? Because all the rest people that born on this earth yeah, to a woman now, they have a father. So did he have to use that name, God, as his father? As what he always say, father, right? Just because he's coming into the world. And, you know, every woman that born baby, they have a father. Uh-huh. So he was using that um, that word. Well, all we know, Codrington, is this, right? That we know that to solve the human problem of sin and deal with the sin problem, we know that going back to Genesis chapter 3.15, our Lord promised there after the very beginning, the moment man sinned, God made a promise, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Uh, thou shalt bruise his heel, and he shall bruise your head. And that has to do, that's the first, what's called the Proto-Evangelion. That's the first promise given about the Messiah is going to come, who's going to destroy Satan. The Satan is going to bruise his heel, and we know he bruised his heel on the cross because those nails went right through the heel when he was hung on the cross. But he's the one that would stamp the serpent on the head. The most vulnerable part of the, sta- the, 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 the snake basically is his head. It's all teaching there that the Messiah is going to come. He'd be made of a woman seed of a woman and uh, Galatians chapter 4 talks about that when the fullness of time was come God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them under the law Uh, it was mandatory that man that when the Messiah came that he be a man uh, to die and live under the law and to fulfill all the righteous demands of the law and meet the the offended holiness of God 
Christ had to suffer the wrath of God because of God's holiness being offended because of man's sin. But he not only had to be man, he had to be God as well. So he is the God-man, and that is where he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, and he is the second person of the Trinity, the Divine Son, who assumed uh, the 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 uh, shape, the form of a man. He, Philippians chapter two. He did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself of no reputation and became the form of a servant. Was made in the form of a man. So the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, became a human being. He was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man, but yet one person, and uh, that was mandatory and essential to be the redeemer that he should be. Man sins, so man has to pay for sin. But no man can adequately pay for the sins of the whole world. And that's where Christ comes in as as God now. And so he satisfied the demands of God's righteousness and his holiness. At the same time, he as a man, a perfect man, and God at the same time, he's able to meet the needs of the entire world. That is part of the mystery of the great doctrine of atonement. We cannot go into all the details as to why God did this and why God did the next. The question man has to ask more than is what God did, not what man. God doesn't give us a lot of explanations on, on these matters. He just does what he did. The why will come in the future when we meet him and we are glorified. And a lot of questions that we have down here, and I have a lot of questions, that you have a lot of questions. I think we have eternity to get a lot of those answers. But what we have is a... Uh, revelation from God telling us the dilemma we're in, how God provided a way to get us out of that dilemma, and human responsibility, which now is to repent and believe in what God has done through His Son and put His faith and trust in His Son. And God said if we are willing to do that by faith, He's willing to pardon us, adopt us in the family, reconcile us, uh, impute Christ's righteousness to our account, and accept us as His children and we have a restored relationship. That's the essence and the gist. But the details as to why, uh, whether or not he needed a father. But let me just mention one other thing. Um, this is why Joseph is his stepfather, because the line, the, the kingly line, comes through the father. It doesn't come through the mother. Uh, and that was important that Joseph be in the line of Judah, because it's through the, uh, the line of Judah that the scepter will not depart. So the legal line to the throne of Israel came through his father, which was Joseph, uh, his adopted father. Uh, and, uh, and his, of course, his humanity came through his mother Mary. But it was important for him to have a father, uh, an adopted father as well, uh, so that he could fulfill the requirements uh, to be the legal king of Israel. I don't know if that helps you, my brother, but... Um, I hope it does. Codrington, thank you very much for your call and your question. We appreciate you listening. In the last five minutes of tonight's episode, uh, we have a question that has just come in, Pastor, from Antigua. WhatsApp question. Good evening. Can these verses be explained on why and how we have gone astray from the commands of God? And let me read the verses that are referenced. Deuteronomy 17.20 says that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Deuteronomy 28.14 And thou shalt not go aside from any of the words which I have commanded thee this day to the right hand or to the left 
to go after other gods to serve them. And Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. State Deuteronomy 13. Let me get the correct chapter here. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, wherefore he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether ye love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And the last two verses, verses 4 and 5, ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has spoken, because what he has spoken to you to turn you away from the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of bondage to thrust thee out of the way of the Lord thy God and commanded thee to walk in. So shalt thou put the evil away from the midst of thee. And the question again, can these verses be explained on why and how we have gone astray from the commands of God? Well, it's very, very clear that even you go back to Genesis that a man was supposed to live by God's will as expressed what God gave man. man gave, God gave man a command, you should not partake of the fruit in the midst of the garden. That was a clear command that God gave. That's an expression of God's will and God's word. And man was designed to be obedient to God's word. So man going away and man going astray, whether it be in the Garden of Eden or today, is basically the same thing. God has expressed his will in his word, and man has gone away from God's word. And that puts man in the current dilemma that man finds himself in. And he's gone astray from God because he goes away, gone astray from God's will and God's word. Uh, so in a sense, what you're saying um, is supported in Scripture. And uh, all our problems today that we have, the, all the moral and spiritual problems we have, quite frankly, and, and even some of the economic problems we have today, it's all stem from the fact that we've gone astray from God's Word. We have not followed and be obedient to Him. Look, a lot of the, I, I, I would say this, a lot of the poverty that we have in the Caribbean and all over the world is rooted in one thing, in morality. The fact that we have not, fathers would not be fathers to their children. And they have children, just leave children, leave moms today. A lot of the poverty we have today, if we had homes, we had a mother and a father and children, think of how that would change and transform not only Antigua and transform the whole world. We always complained about these poverty things, but again, uh, what's that we've gone away from God's will? God's will is a man and a woman come together to produce children. That's not how we've gone. Uh, we've gone astray in that regard, and then we want to blame God and blame everybody for all the problems we're having. The way of restoration is the way of being restored to relationship with God and start living according to God's will as expressing God's word. That will bring about the transformation that we need uh, in this country and every single other country. Uh, but yes, the answer is it explains why man has gone astray. Uh, because man has gone away from God's will, his expression of God's word. As a result, that man is away from God. And uh, the way of restoration is coming through Jesus Christ and then go back to relationship where we live by God's truth and live by God's word and live according to God's will by following his word. 
Any additional thoughts in the last two minutes that you'd like to share along the Chris Delphia? Well, I topic? don't want to come back to this topic the next time. I want to deal with another one. So I just want to say that they also do not believe in hell. Uh, they believe that, um, to quote them, the popular theory of hell as eternal torment is a fiction. Uh, they believe that man is going to be annihilated. Of course, the other cults who believe that, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, the Seventh-day Adventists believe that as well, that man is going to be annihilated. The biblical doctrine is very, very clear that man will be tormented unto the ages of the ages, the book of Revelation. We don't have, if we had time to deal with that, I suppose we did a program on that as well. But it's very, very clear in Scripture that whether we like it or not, the biblical teaching is that there's a place called eternal uh, uh, torment for those who reject Jesus Christ. And the same way we reject an eternal person, we will suffer eternal punishment because he is an eternal person. So they reject that as well. The other thing is that they deny that man has a soul. And they believe that uh, man was a physical body that has breath, and that when the breath, he dies, that breath is gone, and he doesn't exist afterwards. He just uh, completely um, goes out of existence, and he has no consciousness after uh, death. Again, the Bible is very clear about this matter. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. We have e- uh, Enoch and Moses talking to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So if if death is no consciousness, how do we have to explain that? So there's a lot of good things, but a lot of worse things that this group holds to. The important thing is to judge them according to Scripture. And by that standard, they're cult, they're in error, and they're contrary to biblical Christianity. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of That's Truth. And I think it's a great reminder that you can have an organization that seems good. They have some good stands. But if they are missing the target on who Jesus Christ was and these key doctrines in the gospel or in the Bible, they are wayward and you need to part from them and follow the gospel of Jesus Christ found in Scripture as it is found. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.